Help support your local businesses, whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trainer here with you, and I am joined today by special guest, someone we haven't had on the show for a while, long overdue, but every time he's on the program... You always learn so much from him. He is Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan. Emery, so good to hear from you again. Always good to hear from you, Pat, and it's a pleasure to be on the show once again. Absolutely. And uh, Emery, we got a lot to talk about when it comes to this Giants team, and I do mean a lot. And uh, I'm going to call upon your expertise because I know you – are constantly in the lab breaking down film. You probably have uh, access um, to, to more advanced analytics. And we've got to just start off with something that's kind of been bugging me um, with Joe Judge and, and what the, he and the players have been saying. And that is they keep saying that they're making progress. That progress is not translating, as far as I can see, over to the field and that there is inconsistency. Do you see progress in this team at all? You know, I do see progress, and it's unfortunate that, you know, two of the key components are going to be gone now for the year. But I do see progress with the defense. I think the defense has played way better than expected at all three levels. You know, um, starting from the back and working to our way to the front, the additions of Bradbury and Logan Ryan have been tremendous. Uh, Yadam played well when he first got here and got and got involved. And Holmes has been a really good draft pick, looks like so far. Love is still trying to figure out his way. Was, I mean, you know, he was dealing with some nagging injuries and he hasn't played much, um, you know, as of late. But you like the secondary pieces that they put back there. The linebackers have done well. Uh, Fackrell has been outstanding. Um, you know, Martinez has played well when he was in there. Uh, and you look at those guys, you know, and granted, you're going to be without now uh, Carter and Zimenez, but I thought Carter was playing some of his better ball. Uh, and then up front, I like the way the defensive line looks, you know, Williams, Tomlinson and, and Lawrence. I think those guys have been really good. You know, Golden has still been an active player up front. So you, I thought the defense and it's a shame because we're, we're not talking about that because the offense has done such a poor job in wasting possessions because I think the defense is the defense gets early stops um and they do it often but when your offense just can't you know sustain drives or can't punch it into the end zone your defense goes back out there they're getting tired they're getting worn down as the game wears on so 
that's the only bright spot in progress that I've seen so far uh, with this football team. And I, I guess an offensive bright spot would be the fact that Ingram is still out there healthy and he seems to be a playmaker of some sort uh, for this offense. Emery, let's stay with the defense if we could for a minute, because back in the spring when we first got Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, um, on a call with all the reporters, and even before that, they talked about generating a pass rush through the scheme. And, you know, we had heard that before. We heard that with James Betcher. We heard that um, with other defensive coordinators. Never really saw it come to fruition. Graham seems to have come up with a way to generate it. What is he doing differently with his scheme that these other guys weren't? I think he's probably more inclined to to have guys hold guys accountable for their responsibilities. When when people say that they just want to get pressure with scheme, they essentially are saying, you know, we want you to play your gap aggressively. Just own your gap aggressively. And I think that's what you're seeing with Dexter Lawrence. And Thomas, and when guys have a simplified uh, responsibility and the um, empowerment to, to play that role aggressively, like if you're only responsible for the A gap, then man, you just own that A gap. And whatever comes your way is going to come your way. Sometimes you even hear coaches say, play the run on the way to the quarterback. You know, that's another way of playing your gap aggressively. And so, you know, you have full uh, confidence that, hey, I can explode through this A gap and try to and pursue the quarterback. But if it's a run play, I've created such a, a vacated space that my linebacker can quickly step up field and make a stop at the line of scrimmage. So I think that's the biggest difference between what he's preaching and what we've seen from previous defensive coordinators. And what about the back end of the defense? Let's stay with that for a minute. You know, they Second quarterback has been kind of like a revolving door. They've had Ryan Lewis in there more um, the last couple of weeks. Have they found the answer with him, or are they still kind of missing something in that second cornerback? I think they ideally want a guy like Ballantyne to, to really, you know, make a step. Um, they love Holmes. They drafted him, obviously. Lewis has been steady, you know, and, and what he brings, you know, to the table, he, he brings, you know, good awareness and so a good pedigree because you, you get a guy that's coming in from a you know pit panther program and they do a good job of pumping out defensive backs and so you know he's well coached same with yadam when he was getting a lot of reps he you know, obviously came from denver but at boston college i knew they coached their defensive backs really well uh, but i just think they're they're wanting you know one of these draft picks these homegrown prospects so to speak to step up and, and really seize that position um, so that way they don't have to go out and find guys and, and fish guys off the practice squad and, and bring them up and, and hoping that they can be the answer. They want the guys that they spent time scouting, uh, working with, drafting to really be the guy at those spots. And what about at the linebacker uh, group? Now, they started off in the base defense. It was Blake Martinez, Devontae Downs. Now it's been uh, Martinez and Tay Crowder, who was Mr. Irrelevant, a guy who I don't know that a lot of people figured would, you know, would surpass or, or, or come this far. I mean, do they have what they need there? Or do you do you think that, you know, they, they just it, it, he's kind of like a placeholder? You know, that that's a good question. I, I think when you look at Crowder has athleticism, so he helps you out in coverage. And I think that's a big part of, of today's game. But I think 
because they're not household names, you kind of look at the position and you say, man, they could use an impact guy there. But if a guy that's there, it's kind of productive. It's hard to move off him, you know, but you treat him like a yeah, but player like, yeah, he's doing this, but we could use somebody more dynamic or explosive. And maybe if you start doing like a, you know, a tackle dance every time he makes a tackle or, you know, some type of some type of, you know, pound your chest type dance when he breaks up a pass. I think that'll get him some some notoriety. But I just I just think that, yes, they could stand to use a difference maker because, again, we're talking about guys that were seventh round picks. and They probably were seventh round picks for a reason. Um, So you, you want you want someone there. But I think he's doing a, a solid enough job to where. He's not a liability. Before we move off the defense, Emery, I want to ask you about the difference in Leonard Williams. He just seems more active up front. Is that because of the scheme, because of what they're asking him to do, or does that just stem back to the, you know, what you were talking about before about owning his gap? I think all of it, you know, one, also you add in he's paid now. So you got all of those factors in the mix. Um, And I, I just think that, for him, I remember when I spoke with him, it was the, the year the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley. And I was doing this show in uh, New York City. It was the Fantasy Sports Network's draft show. So we're in studio, and right outside the studio is, you know, the studio is inside of a restaurant slash bar. And outside of that, it's a glass door. So, you, you know, people are looking in at us on, you know, on set. So we're flagging people in just to have fun, you know, just to bring them on set and talk football, see how their team drafted. But the NFL was holding a party out there, um, like a draft party. And so we were able to talk to Sterling Shepard. Um, and then we saw we saw Leonard Williams and we flagged him in at the time he was with the Jets. And so we brought him on a set and we interviewed him. And I asked him, I was like, you know what? What would you say is your most ideal spot up front? He said, man, I'm a three technique all day. And so I think because of that mindset he has where he really just want to have that one gap and get up the field, he's doing that now. He's not asked to two gap. He's asked to penetrate. And you're seeing him feel a lot more comfortable in doing uh, that role and working within that role, which is why we're seeing him be quote unquote more productive stat wise because he was always a productive player just didn't show up in, on the stat sheet but now we're seeing both kind of mesh together and, that, and that's why we're getting the player that we're getting in 2020 indeed Emery let's take a quick break when we come back we're going to flip over to the offense with the ever increasing numbers of makes and models of cars and trucks it's become impossible for retail shops to stock everything in a traditional chain storefront So the next time you need a part for your car or truck, visit rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Rockauto.com offers scores of different auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers for nearly every make and model of car out there. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks to Delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and are the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. 
Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Hey, Giant fans, this is Patricia Trena, host of the Locked on Giants podcast, and I want to tell you about my debut book. It's called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Giants, and I've sought to create a living history of the top men and moments that have made one of the NFL's charter franchises what it is today. Relive the franchise's four Super Bowls. Find out what convinced former general manager Ernie Accorsi that quarterback Eli Manning was indeed the one. Learn about the events that brought the Tisch family into the Giants' ownership floor, and so much more. This 368-page paperback book includes loads of photos and stories of some of the greatest Giants in history as told in their own words. The Big 50, the men and moments that made the New York Giants, is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever else books are sold. So pick up your copy today. And if you like it, please give it a five-star review. And thank you so much for your support. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked on Giants. Patricia Trena, and I'm joined by Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan. Make sure you are checking out his work pretty soon. If, if he's not doing it already, I'm sure you're, you'll be scouting uh, college players if you haven't started already. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. It's like I started when I thought we weren't going to have a season, um, and then uh, then I had to hit pause on that. So I got through the running backs, um, but I had to hit pause on that until – uh, you know, now we got a whole college season now, so I gotta. It's gonna be interesting how how this goes. Who's gonna opt in, opt out? Who's gonna play in the spring? So it's. I'm glad I stopped when I did because I would have been frustrated if I had graded like I normally do, like 600, 700 something prospects, and 150 of those guys go back to school. Indeed, and Emery, since you brought up running backs, let's start there if we could. Saquon Barkley lost for the season. Um, some people look at him and say, well, you know, the Giants weren't really doing much with him in the lineup anyway. You know, just how much has that offense changed without Saquon Barkley in it? It changed tremendously because you don't respect who's in the backfield. Now, I say that in a sense of not disrespecting the talent that they have in the backfield. I'm saying from a defensive perspective, no one scares you now. So you can play extra aggressive. You can take chances and stopping the run or playing, you know, you know, calling certain run blitzes because you're not worried about getting burned by a back like Saquon that could house it, you know. So if you have, there's a difference in prime example, and and folks hope hopefully understand this. When you look at the Baltimore Ravens, um, Lamar Jackson's rookie year. So when he came in and they went six and one down the stretching into the playoffs, Gus Edwards was the running back, and everybody focused on. Um, Lamar Jackson's running. And so because they had to focus on oh, Jackson's a threat. But the following year, they went out and got Mark Ingram and they had the best run game in the NFL. Why? Because Ingram was a threat. And now the threat changes how you defend them. So you couldn't truly key on Lamar like you did his rookie year in them six games or seven games. Now you have to worry about Ingram, which mean which meant Lamar had what over a thousand yards rushing. And Ingram had over a thousand or something or close to it or a ridiculous 
yards per carry average. That is the the threat that you have when you have game breakers. And the Giants had that in Saquon Barkley. You see now how aggressive guys are playing the run, um, which is why the run game is struggling. I know when Barkley was there, and you know this is something that I, I don't know if people brought it up, but you look at the first game. This was the, fir- the first game of the season when Nick Gates, first time starting at center. I'm pretty sure the Steelers had a key on his call because I've never seen guys just completely blow up every run play like that. Um, so with that aside, I guarantee if they had Barkley against the Giants or against the, you know, the whole game against the Bears, Barkley would have popped one or two runs because at you know, Nick Gates would have been more in the groove as far as, you know, getting his calls right, how to disguise certain calls and been much more comfortable at center. So with them not having Barkley, it changes how people play you defensively. So therefore, you see guys not really worried about the Giants um, beating them running the football. And to that end, does it also maybe put more on Daniel Jones to where now defenses are popping off on him? Well, it puts more on Jones, but I like what Garrett did because Garrett realized something that I've talked to you about constantly. They should have utilized this last year. Like put more on Jones in the run game. Therefore, you take some of the pressure off of him in the pass game. Kind of like creating what you see with Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, quarterbacks that can move you put you you have certain run plays in him you you have your read zone your zone your zone reads um and you have him be a a, a plus one in the run game so now they can't just get aggressive and chase him because they now have to respect his ability as a runner we didn't see him take off yesterday against the cowboys we saw him take off against you know the bears we saw him take off against pittsburgh and that really helped out the offense it helped buy him some time when he did drop back to pass. But if he's not doing that element of his game, it really hamstrings the offense. Speaking of Jones, I mean, when you look at him, I know one of the big criticisms against him was mental processing, him holding the ball too long. I'm just wondering, Emery, is that just a a carryover from last year or how much of that might be because of of the communication with Nick Gates, who, you know, was obviously learning on the job with center and, you know, the calls that are being made and just, you know, that whole operation really not functioning as smoothly as it probably could. I think that's just who Jones is. And Jones has been since his days at Duke. Um, What? So that is understandable. That's 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 his that's him. That's his makeup. What what I find troubling that I see him do more of now than I saw last year is that whole drifting back into the pocket. Like, you know, you're not you're not you're more athletic than that, man. Like, you don't want to drift backwards because you don't have the arm to really, you know, throw from different platforms when you're fading back. And it really allows the defensive back to get back into the play. So his pocket mo- mobility as far as him dropping back, you know, and, and drifting back, you know, trying to buy time instead of stepping up and try to and play from an attack per- point of view, where if you're stepping up in the pocket, almost given that threat he, he may run, now you're creating windows behind the guys that's going to have to change their responsibilities and say, okay, I better get up on him now because he's going to take off. Now you just created a whole new passing window for you to fit the ball into as opposed to you drifting back and there's nothing good that happens when you constantly drift back. That's a part of his game that I think is something that I've seen more of this year than what he did as a rookie. 
So almost like a passive approach, you would say. Right. He's passive in that regard. And if he was more aggressive in that regard, look how people fear uh, your your Russell Wilson's, your um, Aaron Rodgers, so to speak. You know, you look at uh, the Lamar Jackson when he attacks. Even Joe Burrow, uh, to his credit, even though he's getting smacked every week, to his credit, he's attacking forward. You know, and just putting that thought in the defense's head that, hey, hey, man, he may take off and and pick up a, you know, a quick yard or two. Tannehill does that. Um, But if you're playing from a passive approach, Eli started to do that late in his career. Um, You see, you saw Drew Bledsoe do it. You know, that stuff you don't you don't want to see a quarterback do because it's going to end up in a throwaway or sack. Or, you know, an ill-advised throw that doesn't have enough gas on it and is going to go back the other way. Phillip Rivers does that. And that just doesn't work. Emory, at what point do you get concerned about Daniel Jones? I know he's 16, 17 games in, something like that. Still a young quarterback. First year in a new system that's nothing like what he ran last year. But at what point, you know, especially with the turnovers, do you say to yourself, Okay, uh, this is just not going to get better. Yeah, that that's the that's the more pressing part um, because it's not just turnovers, right? It's not like he he throws an intercept early in the game and it's you know it's a uh, all right. It's, it, we still got thirteen minutes left in the first quarter and you know a whole game left. It, his turnovers come at the most inopportune time, and they tend to be soul-crushing turnovers, like the one yesterday. In the grand scheme of the whole game, if he doesn't give up that touchdown, Giants win, right? And so you look at stuff like that, like, and then when you realize that he only had one game in his career where he didn't turn the ball over, so it's almost like you're expecting a turnover a game. You don't want to get to that point because then you become a liability. And so I think he has to get that, you know, straightened out pretty quickly. Otherwise, they're going to start to look elsewhere because they can't trust him to protect the football. You see coaches do this all the time with running backs. If a running back fumbles, you see how quickly they try to banish him to Siberia. But with quarterbacks, you know, maybe he'll work his way through. And sometimes the turnovers usually come in bunches. So you have a a guy that has, you know, a three-intercept game, then he'll come back next week and have no turnovers, right? Um, but you'll see, but Dan Jones has been consistent in his turning the ball over, which is definitely not what you want to see because it shows that's part of his game and coaches can't have that. Cause especially when you're trying to, you know, build an, build an offense, taking away drives and the turnovers kill you. I mean, that, that's something that they're going to have to address, or he may be a guy that you'll see on that Mitch Trubisky plan where they're going to bring in a veteran to challenge him, essentially being his uh, step-in guy if he continues to turn the ball over at a high clip. Yeah, and that one game you mentioned where he didn't turn the ball over, he still lost the handle on it. It's just they, they happened to luck out and recover it. I know exactly which game you're talking about. Final question about Daniel Jones before we take a break and then talk about the offensive line, which I know a lot of people want to hear your, your expert take on it. 
With Daniel Jones, when you watch him, do you see a guy who is seeing the entire field? And if not, is that by design or is that just because Jones just doesn't have a clock in his head regarding the pressure or the timing of these passes? I think it's more of the latter. Um, you know, and it's it's bec- once you get, you know, if you get hit a lot or if you're prone to if you're thinking about not making a mistake, you're going to make the mistake. If you're thinking about not getting sacked, you're going to get sacked. Um, and I think for him, he's trying to find the best possible option for him, the safest throw. And you could tie his his uh, yards per attempt to what he's seeing. And so the ball is coming out short all the time. And it's coming out short to someone that could perhaps you know catch a run. I get that. Um, and it's not like he can't take shots downfield because he does have – good placement on, on his on, on those intermediate throws. I just think that he's worried about protecting the foot. He's overly con- you know conscious of protecting the football. Um and so he's not gonna he's gonna have to he's waiting for someone to be open to throw it when we know in the NFL you have to anticipate that open window and then throw it before it opens. So therefore it, it connects right on time. But I think because of his turnovers and and him being cognizant of that it forces him to hold the ball longer, trying to wait for someone to be wide open. And you're normally those guys are going, they're not going to be deep down the field. They're going to be short or just at the cusp of that intermediate area. And that's where you see all of his completions go to. Indeed. And that's some great analysis, Emery, because I wondered about that. I just, I see a quarterback who's just not seeing the entire field and is taking the safe throws, as you mentioned. So anyway, let's take our final break. When we come back, I want to talk about the offensive line, which, you know, I think we we definitely have to discuss. So folks, stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're looking for that added boost to help you break through that afternoon wall, check out Built Go. Built Go comes in convenient 1.5-ounce packets and three delicious flavors to give you that surge of energy with just a third of the caffeine and without the crash feeling of other Energy Boost products. And now you can try Built Go at a special price. Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED to get 30% off your next order. That's BuiltGo.com with the promo code LOCKED for your 30% discount. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked on Giants. Patricia Trainer here with you, and I have Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan, and we, we are breaking down the New York Giants. We did the defense in segment one. We just finished doing uh, Daniel Jones, most of segment two, some of the running back uh, situation as well. And now we're going to talk about the offensive line, and Emery, we got to start with Andrew Thomas. Now, coming out of the draft, a lot of people felt that Andrew Thomas was probably the safest pick, the most pro-ready pick. But lately, he's had some struggles. And, you know, you've got to give credit to the competition he has faced. It has been hard. But, you know what, in the NFL, it, it's assumed that the left tackle is going to face the best pass rusher, you know, across the board, regardless of the team. When you look at Andrew Thomas, what do you see in his game? What, what's missing right now? Confidence. Um, you know, it's not like he doesn't have the talent. We saw him do well against Pittsburgh. I, I think that was probably the best test you wanted to, to start your career with. I thought he did fine against Pittsburgh. And, you know, you're starting to see, like, him start to finally under – I guess he doesn't really understand um, that – 
every week in the NFL is it's like your biggest game at Georgia. So it's like facing Alabama, you know, for 16 straight weeks. So you really have to you can't there's no off days. Even when you think there's an off day, there there isn't. And, you know, he's going to have his wins. And he's going to have his losses. But the, the most important thing you want to see him do is not go in the tank. And I hope the Giants, you know, fans or, you know, or some in the Giants media don't treat him like they did Eric Flowers or don't treat him like Philadelphia Beats in media do any wide receiver that doesn't catch a, ba- a ball, right? Um, because as much as players say they don't read anything in the media or see tweets, they read and they see things and they have people who read and see things and pass the information along to them. So for him, it's about, man, I was so dominant at my level. Why am I not having the same level of dominance right out of the gate? And that's a, that's an adjustment period. And it just, it just coincides with them not winning and not being able to run the football effectively. So they're, he's in pass sets more often than you probably want a rookie tackle to be. Plus he was supposed to come in and probably play right tackle. And now he's tossed in as a starter, um, you know, with the opt out of Nate Solder at left tackle. So, you know, maybe he came in with it with the Maybe he's not ready yet, but you'd like to see him continue to compete and he'll have his better days. Um, like I said, he started out well versus Pittsburgh and you just hope that, you know, he finds that rhythm once again. Good observation on the confidence because I had wondered about that too. At times it looked like, you know, the body language where he just wasn't as into it, I guess, as you saw in the first, uh, you know, the first game of the season. Also thing I, I wondered about was playing next to Will Hernandez. Now, Will Hernandez is a young veteran, but I don't know exactly what's going on with him. He still seems to be struggling, it, it looks like. What do you see from him and how is his play potentially affecting Thomas's? That's where the communication, I think, is 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 starting to um, have an effect because you're right. Hernandez is struggling a little bit. Maybe Thomas is trying to help him out. Maybe they're both confused out there uh, on the left side. And that's not a good thing because when you look at the right side, it tends to be a little bit more stable. Well, understandable because you have, you know, veterans on the right side and Zeitler and Fleming. So I think. It, it's a combination of, of everything you have. A, Will Hernandez was in a way struggling last year um, and, and it's kind of been inconsistent this season. You know, he was great as a rookie, I thought. Um, kind of helped all, all of Saquon Barkley's big runs came, I think, off of Will Hernandez's butt, you know, for the most part. And But in pass pro, it, you know, his second year, he's been kind of inconsistent. And now in year three, especially with working with a new left tackle, you don't know how much communication is is involved with those two guys and, you know, whether or not they're getting the right calls and are they picking up the right stunts or they're seeing the same thing? Because if they are, then it, it would be a much more cohesive unit. But right now you're seeing the right side tend to be a little bit more stable than the left side. Yeah, and then you also have to throw in the fact that, you know, like we said earlier, Nick Gates is still technically learning on the job. Yeah, with no traditional off-season OTAs, you know, those physical reps, even if they're walkthroughs, those physical reps, those 10,000 hours uh, that people love to talk about in the corporate world, they, they didn't have that. Um, and so you, you'll see, hopefully, 
this line get better as it goes on? Because you're essentially starting a rookie at left tackle. You're essentially starting a rookie at center. Um, and you're essentially starting a first-year guy in the, you know, with this unit on the right side. So, you know, I would I would say that this look at this offensive line as as a work in progress and try to compare it to, let's say, the Bills offensive line right now. And you see how great the Bills got out to to, you know, out of the gate. Well, because they returned all five starters. So the communication and continuity, there was none because they already had it. You know, they didn't have to work on it. That, well, I mean, they, they already had it. But the Giants had to break. They broke in essentially three new players out of five and a new O-line coach. So there are certain things that that they're going to have to go through before they get to where they want to be. But along those lines, Emory, I mean, I've always believed that the offensive line is not complete yet. And by that, I mean, you know, you figure that Matt Pert is going to be in there at some point. You figure that Shane Lemieux could potentially replace Kevin Zeitler down the line. So technically that line's not complete. So what I don't get is, is why not, you know, if you're breaking in, um, you know, the young players, why not just go for the clean sweep? I mean, are they that concerned that it's it, it would prove disastrous? Do you know this team plays? This team plays in New York, New Jersey area. They will eviscerate any anybody that gives up a sack or any, any pressure. They will eviscerate these young dudes. So they're trying to protect these young dudes from the media, from you know, from the uh, from the scrutiny on Twitter where, you know, everyone has all 22 and everyone, you know, tweets like they're they're a position coach. And so every mistake you make will get retweeted and, and analyzed by to the nth degree. And so to protect them from that, they, they want to slowly get these guys reps. I mean, we saw Lemieux at fullback at one point, you know, so you want to slowly get these guys acclimated, throw them in there and slowly weave them into the lineup um, to have success long term. Because they, I agree with you, though. It would make sense to go with that straight youth movement, Lemuet probably center, kick Gates over at, to left guard, and Pert at right tackle. I, I, would, I would be all for that, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, to protect them from themselves and from, from you know, because, again, they didn't have a regular offseason season. So that's probably why they're they're holding back on just going with a straight youth movement. Yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but you know, at some point, you know, how do you protect the Daniel Jones who was getting his lumps? I mean, y- yeah, this is a tough market. I totally get it. But since when have the Giants ever listened to what people on the outside have had to say? Not very often that I can remember. Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, Daniel Jones is an athlete. He's not a statue, so. Some of that onus has to be on on number number eight. You know, he has to do a better job of protecting his own self. And I also think when you look at Garrett, Garrett has to make sure he calls games to where he's putting Daniel Jones in a situation where he can protect himself by calling some of those run plays, involving more uh, read option plays. Um, and, and I think that alone could help the old line build that continuity, build that success and try that way. You're trying to work with things and build things on the fly. Because if, because right now you see Daniel Jones can't protect himself. You see it, you know, offensive line, especially on the left side, can't communicate well with one another. And it's unfortunate because all of this gets highlighted because they can't run the ball. Um, If you're able to run the ball, you mask a lot of things 
and they can't even mask things now uh, because they don't have that ability. Although I thought Freeman ran well yesterday against Dallas, you take it with a grain of salt because I probably could have gotten some yards against Dallas, you know, because Dallas's defense is terrible despite having all these good names on paper. Uh, so I, I just think that their offensive line, because they, they're not able to run the ball right now, because they don't have a threat and teams don't respect them, you're seeing all these – it's just like a cascade of issues. It's just rolling downhill, uh, unfortunately, up front. Emery, final question for you, and this is more of a generic type of question. Dave Gettleman, the general manager, has been getting a lot of heat given how the Giants have started off. Where do you kind of stand on, on that debate? Do you feel that, you know, look, this given the state of the roster he inherited, the salary cap and whatnot, he had a lot more work to do than maybe the average GM, or has he just totally not moved the needle in the right direction as far as this team is concerned? There, there are certain things you can say, you know what, man, he, he, I thought he did a good job with Saquon Barkley. I like Anthony Thomas. I like the draft they had. I do like the, the Barkley draft. So you had Hernandez Carter was playing well. Um, you know, he was able to bring in some good offensive linemen that I really liked this past draft. Uh, he brought in, although it was much criticized, Leonard Williams has been a really good addition. Dexter Lawrence has been a good draft pick. But when you look at the negative, how could you miss on a guy like DeAndre Baker character-wise? Like, you you have to know that, you know, about him. And you probably and the fact that you traded back into the first to get him makes that pick look horrendous. If you look at the receiving core, they don't have anybody that's, you know, really a, a, a threat, to be honest. You have good players. Slayton can be a good player. Um, Tate is an older veteran, consistent, you know. Um, Shepard is always hurt. So when you look at that receiver position, they're struggling out there on the perimeter. Um, and that falls in line to, to Gettleman. Uh, you know, they, they've gotten guys that, are, that were solid as undrafted free agents or late round picks that are on a practice squad. Um, so why haven't those guys been elevated up yet? You know, or where, where we are in the development process, you know, if I'm thinking as a, as a GM, well, where we are in the development process of these prospects that we're bringing in that were pretty good players, uh, how come they're not, you know, cascading up? And if you, and if in in the same breath, if you're asking him to cascade those players up, then why are you so dependent on those guys as opposed to your draft picks? You know, that means you're not drafting well on the back end of the roster. You know, in the back end of the draft, you're nailing your your early round picks. Um, but the back end isn't isn't helping. And you have to look at Daniel Jones. You know, the fact that Daniel Jones is, you know, supposed to be your franchise guy, supposed to be your 10 to 15 year, you know, player, the guy that replaced the legend, you know, in, in Eli Manning. And he looks like you're going to have to move on from him next year. So it's been a mixed bag. I think it's been slightly more good than bad. But, you know, the fact that you had the Baker thing out there. You have no real true game breakers at wide receiver to speak of. Your your offensive line, although it had played better last year, I thought. Um, right now, people are going to point to that as, as some, especially when you look at Thomas and how he's trying to adjust, juxtaposed to Jedrick Wills, Wirfs, um, and Becton. Now, granted, Wirfs is in the offense where they're running the football. 
and they're trying to protect Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield is skittish in the pocket and, and has turned the ball over. So they're running more, which helps all the linemen. You look at uh, Worse, he's playing on the right side, which you can help him out with a tight end. And he's playing with Tom Brady, who gets rid of football quickly and makes good decisions. And they're also running the football. Becton is the, the, you know, the, the raw player that everyone liked. I liked him as well. And he's dominating. But is it really helping that team win? You know, so and he already has an injury, uh, a shoulder injury, too, that he was trying to fight through. So I can't really knock him for the Thomas pick, although the other tackles are, are doing well. But I just think that the Baker thing, uh, Daniel Jones's turnovers and the fact that, you know, they really don't have nothing at wide receiver is a real indictment on, especially when you look at what he got rid of. You, I mean, you ran off here who was who would have been perfect to grow with a young quarterback in Daniel Jones along with the Saquon Barkley. So, yeah, I think, I, you know what, now that I, I didn't talk myself into probably seeing, you know, both sides. So I say he's probably like a C plus right now, which to me is probably not the best place to be if you're talking general manager. All right. That was a pretty good breakdown, Emery. I mean, uh, I agree with most of it. I don't know. I agree with all of it. But, uh, you know, as always, you bring the good stuff, and I certainly appreciate your uh, stopping by and spending as much time before we call it a show. Let everybody know what you got coming up. Well, they can follow me on footballgameplan.com, at FBallGamePlan on Twitter. Um, You know, our YouTube channel is you can get all of our game previews at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. Smash that subscribe button. Um, and if you guys, if you're an X's and O's guy, you can always check out our latest book, which is the Go Go Offense, written by uh, Brennan Marion, who's now the wide receiver coach at Hawaii. Uh, you can get that at footballgameplan.com/slash Go Go Offense. Amazing. I don't know how you do it. You keep up with all this stuff that you got going on. But hey, listen, I am so glad to see people are recognizing you and appreciating the talents that you bring. And I certainly appreciate that you still make time for little old me. Oh, no, not. I always make time for Pat, man. Pat Pat (laughs) is, is awesome. Oh, you're sweet. All right, folks, that'll do it for today's show. Thanks to Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan. And thank you, Giant fans, for tuning in. Don't forget, Friday is our reader or listener mailbag. So you know what to do. Send those questions into Locked on Giants podcast at gmail.com. And uh, for Emery Hunt, this is Patricia Trainer. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Take care.